In a global industry where anything can happen, where mistakes cost much more than dollars, we bring you expertise from around the world to ensure that everyone goes home safe every day. The internationally acclaimed Oil & Gas HSE podcast starts now with your host, Russell Stewart. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the OGGN HSE podcast, heard in over 100 countries. If you appreciate this podcast, and we've had a lot of really nice comments and likes on LinkedIn lately, then thank you and support our sponsor, Endress and Hauser. Endress and Hauser is a global leader in measurement instrumentation services and solutions for industrial process engineering. They provide process solutions for flow measurement, level, pressure, temperature, analytics, and much more, optimizing processes in efficiency, safety, and environmental impact. They serve many industries across the globe, including a focus in oil and gas. Endress and Hauser, the people for process automation. Today we have on the show William Fija Lobos. Did I get that right? Yes, sir. I can't roll my R's like this Texas accent just won't do that. But Vija Lobos, which had you not told me that's what your name was, I would have never because it's spelled V-I-L-L-A like it's it's V-I-L-L-A-L-O-B-O-S. So I would have said Vila Lobos and you're saying it's Vija Lobos. Okay, I'm saying it with a Spanish accent, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> and so Vija, that means what in Spanish? Well, my last name means Vija Lobos, so it means Village of the Wolves. Village of the Wolves. Okay. So are you from the Village of the Wolves or are you from Texas? For the majority, I'm from Texas. Quick story, uh, I was born in Peru and then came to the U.S. when I was six. Mainly raised by the Tyler area in a small town called Winsboro, and it was through that where my stepfather introduced me to the oil and gas industry. Well, that's East Texas. That's the heart of the oil and gas industry. That's that's for sure. So was your father originally in oil and gas? I mean, how do you go from Peru? For those who may not be familiar with the area, when he says it's near the Tyler, Texas area, that's pretty much almost the heart of East Texas. They tell a lot of jokes about East Texas, you know, <laughs> but... That's it is a big oil and gas country for Texas. They're in the east part of Texas. And of course, everybody's familiar with the western part of Texas, which is the Midland, Permian, Odessa area. But how'd you wind up in East Texas? Long story short, too, is I came over here with my mom and my brother. Yeah. So eventually my mom got remarried to an oil and gas businessman. She's a doctor in Peru and over here she became a professor, kind of licensing issues, I guess. Oh, okay. All right. Well, that's interesting. Yeah. And from that, eventually, other than like taking me out to location when I was a little bitty, I started working for him as essentially his company was essentially developing drilling pads and maintenance operations to the facilities. And yeah, just worked for him throughout high school and a little bit in college. And one of the main reasons I chose petroleum engineering is because of the travel. I really like traveling and I feel like there's a global area of operations compared to like being in, in law or the medical field, like my parents and uncles. They were able to practice in Peru, but once it came to the US, they had to like study all over again and having a family became a challenge. And so I think that's another reason I chose petroleum engineering. Let me talk about let me talk about you and petroleum engineering. And in fact, I want to kind of not do you go by william bill <laughs> i like to go by will 
Will. Okay. All right, Will. Will, people who have heard me speak before know that I, I tell a lot of stories. Usually I introduce the story by saying this is one of my favorite stories. And so everybody figures out I have all these stories and nearly every one of them is one of my favorite. But I was thinking about you and thinking about this interview. And ironically enough, a friend of mine from California was actually putting together a list of idioms or sayings that were kind of unique to Texas for some of his family and relatives in California. And we got to talking about about a few of them. And this one may not be exclusive to Texas, but it may be exclusive to the South, and and it's called Go-Getter. And the late comedian Jerry Clower, which most of the audience won't know because he's not in the the genre that most of them will listen to, but he was a he was a great storyteller. And one of the stories he told was about a town in the United States that had gained extreme notoriety for their employment rate, not their unemployment rate, but their employment rate. I mean, full employment in this town, and it had gained a reputation for its thriftiness and its productiveness, and lots of stories were being written about them. So this reporter goes to this town to write a story, and he gets there in the middle of the afternoon, checks into his hotel. He hasn't had lunch, so he he goes down to the restaurant bar area there in the hotel, and of course, there's nobody there because the lunch hour is over and everybody's at work, except there's two guys sitting at the bar. And so he walks over to those two guys and he tells them why he's there. And, you know, the fact that this town has a reputation for full employment. And he says, so, by the way, he said, why aren't you two guys working? And one of the guys looked at him rather offended. And he said, I do work. So the reporter said, well, what do you do? He said, well, listen, he said, my wife works at the textile mill here in town. She catches a ride into work every morning, but in the afternoon she needs a ride home. And he said, I go get her. (laughs) He said, so I'm a go getter. (laughs) The reporter looked at the other guy and he said, well, what do you do? And he said, I help him. (laughs) So I wanted to tell that story to introduce this podcast, Will, because you are a go getter. And I mean that in the most flattering way that I possibly can. Folks, as Will mentioned, he chose petroleum engineering. You're actually presently an undergraduate student for petroleum engineering at Texas A&M University, right? Correct. And so you're a junior. So you just finished. What Which year did you just finish? My fourth year. So I'm a transfer student. And so long story short, I'll be graduating next year in May. And I got my Aggie. Well, I'm going to get my Aggie ring in September. So looking forward to it. And for those of you who don't know it, I mean, getting the Aggie ring is a a rite of transition. It's a rite of life. So the reason I use this go-getter illustration, you did something that I thought was really amazing. And that's why I'm having you on on the podcast today, because it's interesting. Here you are, an undergraduate student in petroleum engineering, and you're on this HSE podcast. The next podcast, I will be interviewing a guy who has 35 years experience in the safety business. So I guess that's why people listen to this podcast. We have a lot of we have a lot of variety. But what you did, Will, was you put together your own oil and gas HSE summit during COVID. So this was a remote webinar, if you please. You had some people on the panel. I know Texas Railroad Commissioner Christy Craddock was one of them. But tell me who else you had on this summit or on this program. How'd you come up with this idea and how'd you pull it off? 
how'd you go get her? <laughs> yes. So for the first aspect of the question, yes, I had the keynote speaker was Christy Craddock. My moderator was Dr. Hassan representing the Ocean Energy Safety Institute. Dr. Hill, which is from the Power Advanced Department of Petroleum Engineering from Texas A&M. I had Michael Backlund from Helmrich and Payne International Drilling Company. He's the HSC director there. Emily Haig, who's a director of HSC at the American Petroleum Institute. And Larry Nixon, who was the representative of Code Well Control. And he's very well thought out. I'll put it that way. So that's quite an impressive panel there. So how did you put these all these folks together? Essentially, just I feel like talking about the origination of the panel. But to answer that question, essentially, I, I feel like I know a lot of people. And I think that kind of backstories, backtracks to how I started it. So other than like knowing them from A&M and from my time when I was a chairman at the student chapter of IDC here at A&M, that's essentially it. So I started the development of the summit, essentially starting out from my experience of driving for Uber. So long story short on that one, while driving for Uber, I've met people that were pro-industry, pro-oil and gas, and not so pro-oil <laughs> and gas, <laughs> to put it that way. Right. And I was having to explain what is a petroleum engineer, why is there like petroleum engineering to begin with, who regulates the oil and gas industry, who are the key players outside of the op operators that are in the industry. And yeah, I remember uh, one time just hopping on a plane and the lady beside me, I just never forget this. She, she simply said, it's like, ah, oh, I once I told her I was a petroleum engineer. She was like, oh, you're one of those guys. <laughs> <laughs> and so I was always curious re regarding some of the questions they ask, like what is hydraulic fracturing? What are the, some of the dangers with its opposed, supposed dangers? Why is there cycling activity, et cetera? That kind of leads to the topics we're going to talk about later. But yeah, always having to justify myself to people. So and did you ask this lady what one of those guys meant? Yeah, I would be one of the reasons of why we're able to fly. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. <laughs> yeah. You know, I have met Christy Craddock on several occasions. I'm chairman of the Houston chapter of API, and she's uh, come and spoken at some of our events and whatnot. And Christy says when she gets one of those guys who wants to come to her office, you know, she'll say things like, now, you're not going to be bringing your cell phone to the meeting, are you? And the guy will look at him and say, what? She said, well, you know, you're, you're so anti, you know, oil and gas, so anti-petroleum industry. And, you know, you wouldn't have that smartphone if it weren't for the petroleum industry and, and the products that they make to put that smartphone together. And, you know, they're just, they're clueless. And this show is, is a big proponent of trying to educate people and trying to talk about the positive aspects of the oil and gas industry. And so I saw that's what you were doing here with this, with this summit. And that's why I, I wanted to have you, have you on. So you had this summit. It was back in, was it April, April, April on April the 16th. And You've actually uploaded the full summit to YouTube. Is that right? Correct. I'm actively making a little playlist to add to my channel of all the different questions. So that way you don't have to spend two hours watching the whole thing. You can just a minute or two per question if you want. 
Oh, that's great. We'll try to get that link posted in the show notes. And then I guess you're on LinkedIn, correct? Correct. You can actually, you can also Google me, just William Villalobos Tamu. And A&M did an interview with me. IEDC did an interview with me as well. So William Villalobos, IEDC. And yeah, just Google my LinkedIn, even William Villalobos, LinkedIn. Okay. We'll put that URL in the show notes. Okay. So let's discuss some of these topics that you talked about in the summit with this illustrious panel of guests. I guess one of the big items, first of all, was fracking. Mm -hmm. So in relation to hydraulic fracturing, a quick summary of it, or I feel like talking about the definition of it, at least from my student perspective, is essentially, so the way I usually explained it to my Ubers is like this, is I make a pyramid with my fingers. The top of the pyramid is short and like more shallow to the surface. And you can just poke a hole in it and oil will come out. It's a conventional reservoir. Down farther towards the base, it's much wider and bigger, but much deeper. You can't just poke a hole in it and expect oil to come out or gas. You have to hydraulically fracture it to connect the pores of that reservoir to the well bore. So there's that baseline. Regarding seismic activity, yeah. So at least to my knowledge, and even from the summit, seismic activity can't may occur if you're by a fault and you're injecting a lot of disposal fluid into the reservoir. And this is where Dr. Hill came in stating about his research with the Texas government. You can Google TexNet seismic, and it's actually a map of all the seismic activities that have occurred in Texas and their magnitudes. So that, that was kind of a concern from some of the Ubers that I got. And well, now I know the answer, at least what to refer them to if, if it doesn't. Okay. So, so now you say, you know, the answer and what to refer them to. I mean, when they go to this, is this something that would allay someone's concerns about the seismic activity? It should at least point that it's not, it's mainly all in the Delaware Basin. Well, I have it up right now. But even though there is potential seismic activity, an increase of it, Dr. Hill was very adamant that there is not, the seismic activity does not cause any structural damage. And this is where Dr. Hassan comes in, stating that there needs to be more further research in this dilemma, at least from my perspective. I think about it like this, from the Earth's point of view, like we've essentially the oil and gas business has existed for like 200 years, the modern version of it compared to the Earth's geological structure, depending on how your view on how old the Earth is, a couple thousand years or a billion, even in that time scale, 200 years is nothing to how old the Earth is. And so I think that's where further research needs to be allocated into that. And then, you know, you actually used the technical term hydraulic fracturing. The word hydraulic, that, now we're talking about water. That's another fracking concern, especially in areas like West Texas. Did you guys talk about that? Yes, groundwater contamination. My first thought is it's very minuscule. This is usually the debate that I've even had with PhD students. It's I don't see hydraulic fracturing as the actual issue per se. It's more of going through the aquifer and 
because in order to get to the reservoir below it, you have to go through the aquifer. And I know in the Northeast, supposedly they do a little bit of air drilling to reduce any sort of contamination. But from that, even though there's very little contamination per se, we do casing and we make sure that casing is robust and reduces any further future contamination. One of the key questions that I asked or that was asked during the, the session, the summit was let's say I'm a farmer and I have a groundwater well that supplies my water needs for me and my family. If you were to drill, can you tell me, is it safe to continue drinking out of that aquifer if you were to drill past it? The answers was yes from the panelists and simply because the robust casing systems that we have. Yeah, that's that's the key for, for that particular question. You know, that's that's absolutely the key that I guess we need to educate folks because people, they don't understand that. And we do also use, some companies use underbalanced drilling, supposedly, with drilling past the aquifer. So to reduce any sort of, or to essentially underbalanced drilling is essentially the aquifer flows into the well bore instead of vice versa. Overbalance means the drilling fluids, et cetera, flow into whatever layer. Right, right, right. Now, another subject that I think you touched on was flaring. Yes. So flaring was, the Texas Railroad Commission was very adamant of reducing flaring emissions. API was also adamant about releasing flaring. So flaring is essentially the burning off of gases simply because they're, you rather use your pipeline capacity for oil to essentially maximize maximize economic output. And sometimes you just have to flare because of your location. From that, yeah, reducing flaring. I really don't know any other answer to say that too, because everybody else, everybody's was the same of reducing flaring and what they've done to reduce flaring. I know of like clean fleets that try to use, what is it, produced gas to power their pumps they use a right. per- turbine and stuff. Right. No, essentially everybody was on the same role of flaring. And the other part regarding gases is using that gas for EOR applications. And that's part of some of the research that I did here at AM for the Wolf Camp Basin is essentially if you don't have any CO2 that's around, you can use a 50-50 combination of C1 and C2, methane and ethane to get pretty close, similar results to CO2 EOR applications. Well, the idea that the oil and gas industry isn't concerned about the environment and even the other, you know, issues of, of safety and health, we've come a, a long way. In fact, we're, we're a leader in these particular matters and we continue to work on it. And, you know, the oil and gas industry just, you know, we be turned into third world countries if it weren't for the petroleum industry. Mm -hmm. Well, a key note back to hydraulic fracturing is that how it has reduced our surface impacts simply because we're not drilling so many vertical well. That also has to do with horizontal drilling. We're using one drilling pad for like two, four, six wells even. And so we're reducing our surface impact that way as well. That's actually a very good point. And did you talk about the other concern is just the volume of water? 
so they're out there working on ways to recycle the water and use some of the produced water and all that sort of thing. Was that part of this panel discussion? Unfortunately, no. That's something that we didn't have time for. But that is true. I've heard concerns of that. Maybe for a future summit. (laughs) Yeah, there you go. Well, I need to have a guest come on and talk about that topic because I just saw a advertisement for a conference that's coming up on that very subject. Maybe we'll we'll work on that. In fact, I think it's a live conference. We're getting back finally to live conferences, which is really how this HSE podcast was birthed. We would go to these kinds of conferences that were in person. That's where we'd set up and and we'd record the people that were speaking and were on the panels and and all that sort of thing. And and I'm actually looking forward to getting back to that. All right. Well, Will, the fact that you've put together this thing on YouTube the way you have, I really like that being able to, to listen to a particular question and, and get the answer right. So as we talked, we'll definitely post that link in the show notes. So you said you thought this gave you the opportunity, it gave you more of an international, petroleum engineering gave you more of an international flavor. What are your plans after you graduate? So my career goal is to work in remote operations, not necessarily virtual, but like if you need somebody to go into the Arctic or into jungle, into the desert, I'm your man. I simply seek adventure. And I think that's just part of my characteristics and hard work. I mean, that's where I've gotten, it's gotten me to where I'm at now. So continue doing it. Well, there you go. And and we wish you the best of luck. Again, I'm really impressed about how you you put this summit together and the people that you had on the panel. And again, I want to thank you, Will, for coming on the show today. It's definitely been very interesting. And as I said, we'll put the LinkedIn contact information and some of this other information we've talked about in the show notes so people can contact you directly if they would like to. And I want to thank everyone for listening. And again, remind you that this podcast would not be possible if it were not for our sponsor, Anderson Hauser. Please tell them thank you for sponsoring the show by going to our OGGN Anderson Hauser website, which you can also find a link to that in the show notes, and register for our monthly giveaway there. Also follow us on LinkedIn and Twitter, and that contact info you can find in the show notes. Finally, you can find in the show notes my LinkedIn contact info where you can message me. Please let us know what you're enjoying about the show, any suggestions for content you might like to hear. Also, if you're looking for a speaker for a conference as they are coming back now live, you can contact me about having one of our OGGN speakers speak at your conference, including Mark LaCour and myself. Please tune in again next week for another episode of Anderson Hauser's Oil and Gas HSE podcast, a production of the Oil and Gas Global Network. And check out our complete family of podcasts, including the two most recent ones, Journey to the Energy C-Suite and also Energy Scale-Ups. Journey to the Energy C-Suite, if you're looking for information about how to advance your career, Say perhaps you're in mid-level management and you're looking to get into the executive, move up to the executive end. This is a podcast that you'll you'll find of extreme interest. Energy scale-ups. You're not a startup company anymore, but you still need help in growing your business. This is definitely the podcast you want to listen to. Go to OGGN.com. You'll find the link there that says find your podcast.
Again, thank you to Anderson Hauser, your reliable U.S.-based partner for measurement, instrumentation, services, and solutions. Anderson Hauser, the people for process automation. Please leave us a review on iTunes, like us on LinkedIn, and use all of your social networking to tell your friends about us. And now here's Savannah. We'll see you next time. Hey, everybody. It's Savannah from OGGN, and here are the events on deck for June 2021. This month, we have six events, but if you'd like the full list, you can click the link in the show notes to sign up for our events newsletter. We send it out every month, and it includes more info about the events that I talk about here. We even include events that occurred two months ahead of time, so if you're interested in always staying in the loop about oil and gas events, make sure to check that out. This month, OGGN will be hosting two events. One is online and one is in person. For our online event, we're hosting a live stream titled Deal Value Creation, M&A and ONG. This is gonna be on June the 2nd. And for our in-person event, we're relaunching our happy hours. It's been far too long since we had a good happy hour, so I'm sure plenty of you will be excited to hear that our next happy hour will be at the Cannon in Houston, Texas on June 24th. At this event, you'll be able to meet some of OGGN's hosts and network with other oil and gas industry professionals, all while enjoying great food and drinks. We hope to see you there. Other than OGGN's events, we have two in-person and two online events. First up, we have our two in-person events, which are the Energy Capital Conference on June 2nd at the Omni Houston Hotel and the U.S. Police and Fire Championships from June 10th to the 21st. The Police and Fire Championships will be hosted in multiple locations, so make sure to check out our events newsletter for more information about that. Next, we have our two online events, the first being the Post-Industrial Summit Series. This event actually started on May 4th, but it'll be ending later this month on June 22nd, so there's still plenty to see. And our second online event is the Big Data Industry Summit from June 9th to 10th. If you have any questions about these events or any of our shows, make sure to reach out to me through my email in the show notes. That's all for June. I hope you guys have a great month and thanks for tuning in. Tune in next week for another engaging episode of the Oil & Gas HSE podcast, a production of the Oil & Gas Global Network. Learn more at OGGN.com.